Hello, I'm Steve Davis. Welcome to this podcast for Australia's National Centre for Vocational Education Research. Education seems to be one of the hottest topics on the public agenda at the moment. But is there more to education than just education? In the paper Educating Oneself Out of Social Exclusion, researchers at the Melbourne Institute of Applied Economic and Social Research have identified that the biggest impact on social inclusion through education and training is expected to come from efforts to increase Year 12 completion rates and or completion of Certificate Level 3 qualifications rather than from efforts to increase the proportion of people with even higher levels of qualifications. One of the paper's co-authors is Dr. Hilke Buddelmeier, and I began by asking him how social inclusion was defined or measured in this research. Social inclusion is 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 measured in um, in a way where where you say, well, look, um, it used to be all about income poverty, and we, we talked about people who are excluded if they didn't have income, and and then in the 90s they said, well, look, it's much more than that. It's not just income, it's education, it's health, it's um, interacting with your neighbors, it's feeling safe in the community. So we we went out and we built on previous research efforts by the Brotherhood of St. Lawrence and the Melbourne Institute who set out to, to compose a measure of social exclusion and they identified seven domains. There are material resources, uh, there are employment outcomes, education and skills, health and disability, um, there's a social domain um, and there's a community domain and there's also a, a personal safety uh, domain and those seven domains are then packaged together just using statistical tricks to come up with a new single index which then measures social exclusion. When we hear those factors listed off as you just did, education is just one of them. So what's the significance of education among those others? Does it have greater bearing uh, than some of the others or is it actually just one narrow strand in the overall picture? It is one of seven. Uh, So you can say, well, you know, education is only one of seven. If it's not more important than community safety or, or personal safety, why is that? That's also one of the seven. Why don't we focus heavily on that? Well, what we found in our research is that, yes, education is one of seven, but it's kind of a sleeper factor. And what I mean by that is that education operates on many different levels, and it also affects all the other six, so to say. So we also find that people with uh, higher education levels are um, healthier and less often have a disability. Uh, they also live in nicer neighborhoods, so there's less crime. Uh, they interact with the neighbors more, and um, and 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 of course have more uh, material resources or resources because they, you know, they have jobs with higher incomes. They're also more likely to have jobs. So when you say education is one of seven, yes. That's true, but it also operates through the other six in in a way that's not immediately obvious. And that was one thing that came out of the the work that we did for NCVER, that um, if you work on education as a channel, you can really make a big inroad in reducing rates of social exclusion in Australia. One of the statements that came out of the, the research is that if government is looking to levers to increase social inclusion helping people who are already 
uh, holding higher qualifications, helping them go further up the ladder, is not going to have anywhere near the effect as helping people who are perhaps at the, the bottom rungs of the level of education and qualifications. Is that fair? Yeah, no, no, that's that's absolutely correct. That's something that we uh, we discovered in, in, in doing this. Um, there's not that much to improve on if you give them an even better education. Say, if you if you give somebody who has a, a bachelor's, a master's, say, or somebody who, who has a year 12 and you give them a bachelor's. The big gains you can make at the lower end, because if you work on the education channel at the lower end, then you can really make some gains in terms of reducing inclusion or reducing exclusion uh, because you work on all these things that there's still that much space to improve on um, and, and that's why you get such a, such a big impact if you, if you work on the lower end rather than giving people who are already reasonably well off uh, an even better employment or a better education outcome. Hilke, many aspects of social well-being are inextricably linked to the economy and that means that changes in the economy might well be expected to favour some sectors and professions more than others from time to time. And there's been a lot of talk about the Australian economy transforming towards what we call a service and knowledge economy. Now, if that's true, does that help increase the significance of education as a domain in this measure of social inclusion? Yeah, I think it. I think it will. Um, there's always this talk about the new economy, the new economy, and I, I don't think the the economy tomorrow is that different from the economy today. But over time, there's definitely a pronounced switch. And for most uh, rich Western nations like Australia, we have seen a tremendous change in our economy. And this world, this economy, where where things are changing rapidly, you need to be adaptable. And in order to do that, you need to have like a broad, um, a broad set of skills and then a, a relatively high level of education and training, in order to do that. So I think education will become uh, even more important in the future than it is today, because we need to be able to to adapt to these economic challenges. And Australia is a an open economy. We're very much. Um, engage with the global economy and um, other countries are coming on board um, and competition is is set to uh, increase and um, the only way to keep up is is to be able to be adaptable and to have a a workforce that that can handle those changes and that's why I think education will become even more important in the future. In the lead-up to this interview, you placed your work in the context of waves of reforms within Australia. Can you expand on that for us? There have been three major waves of reforms in Australia, and the first wave of reforms uh, were the reforms by the Hawke and Keating uh, government, and that include the the floating of the dollar, uh, the Reserve Bank of Australia becoming independent, etc. Those were these reforms of the whole Keating area. That was the first wave. Then the the second wave of reforms um, went through uh, COAC, and that's when COAC, the the Council of Australian Government, really became uh, quite important as a coordinating um, entity. And that that's the wave of the regulatory reforms in Australia and the efficiency dividends uh, that were created and that the states would be compensated for. And now we're in the uh, we're in the third wave of reforms, and that's the the national reform agenda. Um, and that's really 
which he can describe as a human capital uh, agenda. And this is the um, the national reform agenda that 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 wants to reform, say, health, um, education, um, and 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 that's why I think this 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 work that we did on social inclusion really fits with the third wave of reforms um, promoting social inclusion. And picking up on that historical context, uh, one of the things that I found fascinating in your paper was showing social inclusion rates over time, uh, and, and it even highlights the impact of the global financial crisis. Can you just talk to that for a second? We use the HILDA survey, it's a panel survey, and so we get really good data on a lot of people over time, and um, it starts in 2001, and we can follow them all the way up to 2010. So we we also witness what's happened during the global financial crisis or the Great Recession, as it's known uh, overseas. Um, and and you see that if you if you start in 2001 and you look at the social exclusion rates, uh, the way we define them, you see them drop over time. And and then when the GFC hits, you you really see a, an uptick again uh, in the exclusion rate. So it's kind of nice to to follow people over time. The other thing that we can do because we have panel data, and we do that in the report as well, is to say, okay, well, in every year you can see how many people are excluded, just as you could see, say, how many people are in income poverty in every single year. But what's really interesting when you have panel data or longitudinal data, as it's called, um, you can also see how many people are persistently excluded. You know, So how many people are in, say, a period of over five years excluded in all five years? So how much of it is a, a one-off transitory event? and in, in uh, what proportion is persistently excluded. And I think uh, that's also one of the uh, interesting uh, parts of the report that we were able to do with, with the good quality data that we uh, had available. Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by the National Centre for Vocational Education Research. If you'd like to download the paper, Educating Oneself Out of Social Exclusion, visit our website at www.ncver.edu. Dot au.